Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. Got the Great Wall of China, got the pyramids, got the Grand Canyon, the Great Barrier Reef, and you got SEC Media Days. Those are the wonders of the world. You can tell there's a buzz in the air now. If you listen on podcasts, you can hear probably in the background there is an electric buzz right now. Because we are here at SEC Media Days in Nashville, Tennessee, and we got a lot to unpack here. We're so glad to have you here. Welcome to the Hard Count. We talk ball here every single day. Live on Tuesdays, live on Thursdays, 11 a.m. Eastern. You can find us in your podcast feed, Apple, Spotify. We're glad to have you here. we got a lot going on now. There's, there's, there's no more time to be wasted. The offseason, that's over. We're now firmly into talking season, into list season, and it's about to be college football season. The people show for everything that you and I know and love about this beautiful game that happens here every single day. we got some real questions that need answering in the SEC. We got some real things that are going to determine the conference championship race right here. So what are those key factors? What are those real questions that we need to answer when it comes to the SEC? We'll talk about it. We'll break it down for us. Also, Greg McRoy of ESPN and Always College Football sat down with us, and he actually has a pick when it comes to the Alabama quarterback battle. All right, he's got a horse in that race that he thinks will end up being the guy, and he actually elaborated on that for us just a little bit. I think you'll be curious to hear that answer. We also asked him, what is the formula to beating Georgia? He had some thoughts on that one as well. Appreciate Greg sitting down with us and chopping it up. Just talking some ball, man. That's what this is. That's so phenomenal about Radio Row. We're sitting here. You got Greg McRoy over there. You got Cole Kublik over there. He was on Andy Staples' podcast. Like, anyone and everyone in college football is here right now. And they just get to come down and, and sit right here and grab a mic and chop it up, which is a beautiful thing. So, with that being said, with all that's being talked about, I can't help but feel like, man, there's just a couple of things here couple of things that are just sort of slowly but surely flying under the radar. Some things that we are not talking about nearly enough when it comes to the Southeastern Conference. 
Got a couple of talking points there, and I think we need to unpack those together just to make sure we're all on the same page because they're eventually going to become relevant, and I want to make sure that we're all on the cutting edge of that. Y'all probably are already kind of having a pulse on this, but I want to make sure we kind of meet up as a group together and talk about that and then pulse the program. Rolling on right now, we've got the Georgia Bulldogs on the mic at SEC Media Day. It felt like the exact right time for us to take a pulse of what's going on in Athens, Georgia. Again, thank you to everyone tuned in live. Got a phenomenal group tuned in right now. Make sure you like the video if you're watching right now. Thumbs up button under the picture you're seeing. Get us over 100 likes. Keep that streak alive. Going to a smooth 12 right now, I think is what it would be. 12 live shows in a row of 100 likes. Thank you so much. Listen, can't waste too much more time. It is July 18th, 2023. We're about to make it the best one in history. It's the last one in history. Let's make it the best one in history. All right, without further ado, what are the real questions that we need to have addressed within the SEC? What are some of the key questions that are going to determine who ends up hoisting that trophy in Atlanta when it's all said and done? And we got to start with the top dog now. They're on the mic right now. We're going to talk about them later in the live show. But when you look at Georgia, man, the formula, you would imagine, will stay the same. But there's a couple of key pieces, a couple of key ingredients that are going to change within that team. New OC and Mike Bobo. New quarterback, likely going to be Carson Beck. Daryl K. Royal once said, you dance with the one that brung you. And the one that brung Georgia a season ago was the run game. Now, they were extremely balanced, but they ran for over 200 yards a game. They ran the ball 53% of the time. They got a lot of the key pieces on the offensive line back. I want to make this clear. I believe they will stick with that formula. I think Mike Bubba was promoted internally to keep with the system that worked. I want to make that very clear. But to the exact same extent, temptation, man, it's a funny thing. It's a funny thing. And I'm just saying, if you're Mike Bobo and you're out there and you're running 11 on 11, you see Carson Beck slinging the rock around. You see him maybe throw one or two frozen ropes down the right sideline. You say, hey, man, that's some horsepower. That's some juice at the quarterback position just physically at least, that maybe we haven't had here all that often. Now Stetson Bennett is the GOAT. Stetson Bennett has got GOAT status in Athens. Don't take my word for it. Kirby Smart said that after the national title game, but I want to make this very clear. Carson Beck has got some juice when it comes to throwing the football. And so I wonder if the temptation of what Carson Beck brings to the table doesn't cause you to just maybe take a peek at going a little bit less 12 personnel. Maybe you spread it out a little bit more. And I think that's a slippery slope for Georgia. Because they have made their mark being the bully, dictating the line of scrimmage, dictating their terms to the opposition. We saw it multiple times last year. So do they tinker with the formula? If they don't, I think they can still be the bully. And then they can do exactly what they did a season ago, run the table, do their thing. But if they want to get a little more finesse, I'm not saying it's the end of the world, but I am saying you dance with the one that brung you and the one that brung Georgia previously was that physical style of play. So that's my big question. Everyone tuned in live, we appreciate you, man. Make sure you like the video. Make sure you're subscribed. No more time to be wasting now. Less than, probably almost less than 40 days now to college football season. We're, we're flirting with it now. We're flirting with it. Once you locked in, appreciate you in advance for that. Now, the LSU Tigers took the mic yesterday. We sat right here with Jaden Daniels, had a conversation with him. Brian Kelly was walking around here. What are they this coming season? And my question more specifically for LSU is, do we see a consistent product from the Tigers in 2023? Because potential is fun to talk about, and there's tons of potential on this roster at LSU. But you can only talk about potential for so long. And the reality is for LSU, they're not a fan base that just wins nine games and high five and walk off and have a good time. Like, like that, that's not what they're signing up for at LSU. That's, that's not what they expect in Baton Rouge. And when I look at LSU, they're a lot like, you know, the, the talking phase of the whole dating scene, if you will. Like, it's fun to talk. It's fun to talk about winning 10 games. It's fun to talk to, you know, that attractive 
whoever you're talking to. But the reality is at some point in time, you've got to determine what you're going to be. And for LSU right now, they have the pieces to determine what they're going to be. You got Jaden Daniels back. You got Harold Harold Perkins, who I believe is the best defensive player in college football. You got Mason Smith, who they were really excited about last year as a true freshman. Josh Williams, you went and got Logan Dix from the portal. Like All these pieces at LSU are currently in place to do some really exciting things. And if they can be consistent, they have a very, very real chance to win the West for the second year in a row. And when I say I want to see them be consistent, I'm not asking them to go out and and win the SEC and beat Georgia. I'm not even asking them to beat Bama for a second time in a row. If you do, phenomenal. I think a lot of people in Baton Rouge at this point may even expect that, but I'm not asking you to do that. What I'm asking you to do is to beat who you're supposed to beat and beat them how you're supposed to beat them. Like LSU last year, they had no business messing around with Auburn for four quarters, going down to them in the first half. LSU was way more talented than that. LSU had no business losing to Texas A&M I think AM is going to be good now here in the coming years, but I don't think they were supposed to beat LSU a season ago based on what LSU had last year. Can they be consistent? LSU had no business scratching and clawing to find their way out of Fayetteville, Arkansas. Like, that wasn't what this roster has available to them. And so for LSU, if they can be consistent, that's going to change the entire complexion of the SEC. So I'll leave it at that. Now, Tennessee is another team we got to talk about, and we're in Nashville, Tennessee. we got Josh Heupel and company coming through media days here very, very soon. But even so, for Tennessee, my big question is, does it all come together? And to put it most simply, there's two ingredients I'm looking at. The first is Joe Milton, right? There's so much made about his arm strength and his physical tools and what he could potentially be in the NFL. Like, all that is fair to talk about. And, I'm, hey, I'm on the Joe Milton train. I'm buying stock in Joe Milton like it's going out of style. But even so, for Joe Milton, the question remains, can he just be accurate? Can he be dialed in? There's a lot more we could say about that, but I want to leave that in one box right here. The other box we've got to talk about is the secondary improved. Can they, can they ratchet it up a little bit? I don't need the secondary to be incredible. I don't need them to be elite. Can they be better than allowing 270-plus yards a game passing? So those are pretty obvious things we've talked about on this show for a period of time here. We'll talk about it, I'm sure, until Tennessee gets to play in ballgames. We get some sort of sample size. But the reality for Tennessee, the exciting for Tennessee, is Big Mo is in the building at Tennessee. The momentum at Tennessee is very, very real. The iron is hot. And so this year, obviously, is you know, an incredible opportunity for Tennessee and what they could accomplish on the field. But zoom out a little bit. What is the difference between Tennessee and a school like a Georgia? or historically a school like in Alabama. It's the stacking of classes on the recruiting trail, right? I mean, Tennessee hasn't recruited in the top three like Georgia and Alabama have. And that was the big difference when Tennessee went to Athens last year. It was like, hey, man, the depth and the Jimmys and the Joes that Georgia has, like, it is what it is, man. What do you want to say? And so for Tennessee, if they're able to recreate some of that magic they had a season ago, you beat Alabama again, or you win double-digit games, you go win a New Year's Six Bowl, anything in that category, then you make it very real to recruits. Hey, this is what we are under Josh Heupel. Last year wasn't just a good story. This is who we are as a team now going forward. You can expect this from the power T for years to come. And when you can sell on the recruiting trail, stability, and a real identity, and not just one good season, which I think Josh Heupel and Tennessee will be able to sell in the future, to be clear, that changes the entire complexion of how you can operate on the recruiting trail. And when you stack those classes, now we talk about sustained success, and we talk about Tennessee competing with Alabama and Georgia consistently when it comes to the football field. So for Tennessee, does it all come together? It's important for 2023, 
But the ripple effect of that, I think, is what we really got to look at when it comes to the Southeastern Conference and when it comes to Tennessee for the foreseeable future. Now, Auburn, talking about talent, they went to work in the transfer portal. Over 20 individuals headed to Auburn, Alabama to go help Hugh Freeze turn that thing around. And there's a lot of warranted hope in Auburn, Alabama. But the reality is the hope is built on a lot of players that just transferred to Auburn, Alabama. Catch my drift. And one of those players, probably the most important player in that transfer portal class, is Peyton Thorne, quarterback transfer from Michigan State, played a lot of football, was a two-year captain at Michigan State. Like, dude can play some football now. Even more importantly, dude's a leader, which I think you need in that locker room under a new staff. But he missed all of spring practice. I cannot express adequately enough how difficult it is to learn an entire offensive system in the stretch between after spring ball until fall camp, which is as long as he will have to work with, just so we're all on the same page here. So for Auburn, all the talent and all that they have on that roster, I just wonder what the impact's going to be. Because to be real, Auburn could mess around and win nine games. Like, they have that now on the roster. This is not last year's Auburn team. They revamped the entire system. A lot of those cats they got transferring in, they're going to ask to start day one. Simple as that. So if Auburn does end up putting it together, look at the ripple effect for them in 2023. Look at what they could do. Look at who they play. They play Georgia, Ole Miss, Bama, all at Jordan-Air. Those are massive games. That's a massive impact they could make on not just the SEC conference race. Look at the college football playoff race. Also, they go to LSU. Depending on how they put it together, how those transfers mesh with that staff and how quickly Peyton Thorne gets up to speed, Auburn's going to be a team that is very much so in the wild card category when it comes to the Southeastern Conference. Now, last thing we want to talk about here is Alabama. In Alabama, there's a lot of talk about the quarterback position with them, and I think it's fair, right? Quarterback, most important position on the field, absolutely a conversation we need to have. What if I told you the quarterback position to Alabama in 23 is a little bit overrated? It's a little bit overrated, and I don't say that in a, in a negative way towards what Alabama's going to be. Look at what Tommy Reese did last year at Notre Dame. 60% of the time, they ran the football. Ran for over 200 yards a game, I believe, or right in the neighborhood of 200 yards a game. Alabama last year, they ran the football 49% of the time. So just based on who you have now as your offensive coordinator, you're telling me you're going to make it more of a priority to run the football. So the question for Alabama for me is, does that offensive line get to play in bully ball? They get back to just being that big kid on the playground. Because to be real with you, the way they've recruited, Alabama has the ability to do that. And I think that's going to be their approach. And we'll talk to Greg McElroy here in just a few short minutes, but that is kind of the approach for Alabama. And here's the deal for Bama. When you're the big, strong kid, you get to dictate to everybody else the way you're going to play the game. Like, think back to when you were on the playground. You're that big, strong bully. You're playing foursquare. You decide the rules of foursquare. Well, this is how we usually play. No, 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 no. I'm about six foot one. I'm 230 pounds. I have a mustache. I'm in the seventh grade. I decide how we play this game now. Doesn't matter who has the most nuanced scheme and who's going to spread you out the most and go up tempo and who's able to, to have, you know, these different sets that are going to confuse you. Like, no, 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 no. When you are the bully and you push people against their will, that is how the game is won. And that is what Alabama is going to try and do in 2023, but it all falls on the shoulders of the offensive line. Period, mic drop, the end. That is going to be the approach for Alabama. They're going to live in the A gap and the B gap. They'll try and control the edges, and that's going to be how they get down, man. That's Alabama in 23. They're going back to bully ball. But, again, the quarterback 
when I say it's overrated, you still got to do your job. You can't give the ball to the other team. You got to hit open shots when we got them. You got to make sure you hit that deep post when he's wide open and that safety bites. But even so, for Alabama in 23, it's going to be on the offensive line to move the ball and set up a third and three, second and four, situations like that for the quarterback then to operate out of. Because if Alabama can't do that, then a lot of people that were talking down on Bama and Saban's lost a step, they're going to be quick to say, hey, I was right. Hey, I knew it the whole time. Hey, I, I, I told y'all. So that would be the reality. And if that is the reality, if Alabama can't get what they want in the trenches and they can't play bully ball, well, then you're in the situation where you've already jumped out of the airplane when you're skydiving. you got to repack the parachute while you're falling back to earth. So for Bama, that's going to be the reality. That's going to be the case that they uh, try and make when it comes to 2023. But, man, I cannot wait to see a lot of questions that need answering for this 2023 season. Now, even so, I talked about the Alabama quarterback situation a little bit there, but Greg McRoy of ESPN sat down with us and actually gave us his pick for who's going to be the quarterback in 2023. Also talked about how you do beat Georgia, and Georgia's the top dog now, no other way around it. So Greg McElroy was just dropping some knowledge on us. A lot of fun to talk ball with him. He's been on the show before, a friend of the program, and excited for y'all to see this conversation. So without further ado, here's Greg McElroy. We are now joined by ESPN college football analyst and former Alabama quarterback, Greg McElroy. Greg, how we doing, man? Good, man. It's good to be at Media Days. It feels like Media Days is sort of like the signal fire that college football is like about to be here. Like It's a lot of talking season, but it lets us know, okay, we're so close to playing games. Right. So close to playing games. And you said something today on SEC Now that if you had to pick today, you would take Ty Simpson to be the starter at Bama. Yeah. Why do you feel that way about them right now? A couple of reasons. One, uh, I think Jalen Milrow is a tremendous talent. Uh, I think he's a gifted football player. The explosiveness goes without saying. I mean, the guy's ridiculous. I mean, just give him the ball and see what he does with it. But there was a problem last year when it came to turnovers, and it wasn't just the AM game. In 16 offensive turnovers for Alabama last year, he counted for five of them. And having played in that offense, having lived life under Nick Saban, yeah. uh, he doesn't forget those things very easily. So I do think he'll have to work his way back into the good graces as it comes to ball security. I think Tyler Buckner's been there for a very short period of time. And it's very difficult to win the team in that short period of time. Yeah. Uh, and I remember back in 2014, Jake Coker transferred up from Florida State, mm -hmm. and he was supposed to be the guy. It was a no-doubter. This guy's the guy. He just lost out to Jameis Winston in a, in a great quarterback competition. And then there was this guy that was also on the team, and Blake Sims had been there for four years and developed relationships with guys on the roster. So... When it was close in fall camp, the guys naturally gravitated to the guy that they knew. And that was Blake Sims. Ended up having a good year. Coker comes in in 15, wins a national championship, but he had to wait his turn for a year. So I think when I look at those two aspects and the fact that Ty Simpson, it's not like he's a guy that was under-recruited mm -hmm. or is a un, you know underachieving guy. He just hasn't had the opportunity yet. And I think with where the offense is going, it's going to be a premium on decision-making, a premium on distributing the football accurately from the pocket, off play action, back to the defense, off play action. That's where I think the offense is going. I think he, at this point, is best suited to be able to run that at the highest possible level. So uh, I think they're going to ultimately go with a little bit of a derby in the first game. Hmm. And then come Texas time, they're going to have their guy. And, and like I said, my guess as of right now, uh, I think it's going to be Ty Simpson. 
Week two is when they got to know, though. Week, week two, in yeah. your opinion, is when you have to have your guy. Or you go to quarterback system, which we're seeing more and more. And it's um, working. It's working, especially when you take into account you have a guy that runs the prototypical offense between the 20s mm-hmm. or between the 25s. And then you, when you get in the red zone and those yards become a lot more difficult to come by, having a quarterback that can run the football is really advantageous. So we saw it a little bit. We called XFL, and XFL is obviously very different than college football, but a lot of the offensive ideas are somewhat similar. And we saw multiple teams, when they got into the red zone, well, here comes the quarterback that can run the ball, and it's a run threat. So I think that's actually coming back. I think there should be more teams that are using that, more teams with multiple guys on the roster, because also if you just stick with one, you're going to lose guys in the portal possibly. So keeping guys incentivized with playing time in critical down and distance situations, short yardage red zone, uh, I think is going to become potentially more the norm in college football. And you mentioned Nick Saban earlier, and there's so much made right now about where he's at emotionally, whether he's, like, upset and feeling disrespected. I mean, you played under him. You know him better than anybody else when it comes to that relationship. Where is he at when it comes to that whole feeling disrespected underdog kind of thing? Is that real, or is that just something that we're making up when it comes to the media world? (laughs) I mean, I I don't think he's oblivious to it because he's not oblivious to anything. He knows everything. So, (laughs) But I also don't think he cares. You know, I I think he – within the building and the best Alabama teams have lived to the standard, the standard that is set not by Nick Saban, but by the previous generations of players that came and went Mm. through the program. So when the expectation is to play at a certain level, doesn't matter who your opponent is, doesn't matter what the expectations are. I remember we were an underdog in 2009 and I mean, he played into it hard, hard. Like everyone thinks Florida is going to whip y'all's tail. Like, the Tebow guy, he's, he's the best quarterback in the country. What are y'all going to do with it? So he played into it, and I wouldn't be surprised if there is some message board material if it makes its way to the Bama locker room. But, no, he, he doesn't worry so much about what outside expectations are because the expectations within the room are already so astronomically high. Greg, last question for you before we get you out of here. Appreciate all your time. Yeah. Georgia, obviously, back-to-back national champs, top doc right now in college football. But you look at the rest of the SEC – First question, or I guess two-parter for you, how do you beat Georgia? And then is there someone that you think can do it in the SEC? Well, I think the, the way to beat Georgia is the same way to beat Alabama the last couple of years, the same way to beat all the best teams, LSU's back in the day. you got to be able to win one-on-one matchups. And if you can't win one-on-one matchups, you're going to have a tough time. And when think about one-on-one matchups, most people are thinking, well, wide receiver against corner. you got to be able to win a couple of those. And they're probably going to be able to take away your best weapon. So your second-best guy, your third-best guy, better be pretty good to be able to take advantage of maybe their weaker corner or their weaker cover guy. Mm -hmm. That's one. Two, I think you have to be able to get, because they're so specific with how they substitute, you have to be able to get into big personnel and throw the ball Mm -hmm. and then get into little personnel and run the ball, meaning you'd get into 12 personnel with two tight ends, a running back, and two wide receivers and throw it all over the yard, getting spread and spread their big guys out. Mm -hmm. And then when you get in small personnel, they're going to bring their small guys in, three wide receivers, four wide receivers, and a running back, three wide receivers, a tight end, and a running back. Then you run the ball out of those formations because they might be a little bit more gettable against the run. So I think you have to be able to play a way that is a little bit unique to substitution, and you got to be able to win one-on-one matchups. And then uh, how do you stop their offense? I don't know what their offense is going to be. Yeah. So <laughs> I don't know if they do either yet. I don't know if they know. I think I'll be able to tell you maybe a little better week two. Yeah. Um, but I think they're going to be a heavy passing attack. 
So you got to be able to rush the quarterback. Carson Beck's a good athlete, but he's not going to be a guy that can really create the way Stetson did. So your pass rushers better be able to pin your ears back and go after and get the quarterback. And then in coverage, you better tackle in space because you know Lovett can create. You know Ladd McConkey's going to get separation. He can get behind you in a heartbeat. And you know Brock Bowers is an absolute beast. So uh, you better be able to rush the quarterback. That's all I have to say. It's going to be fun to watch. Well, Greg, appreciate you, man. Enjoy the rest of the media days. Absolutely. Thanks, Almost time for college football. Yeah, we're almost here. Appreciate Greg McElroy coming down and sitting and talking some ball, man. How about that? Ty Simpson is his pick to be the starting quarterback at Alabama. Fascinating point to me was Jalen Murrow and the turnovers. Typically, whenever you have the turnover bug, you would need like a, a larger sample size. So that tells me that Greg McElroy probably feels like that instance against Texas A&M isn't just a one-time thing. Maybe we're seeing some of that at practice. Maybe it's something where Jalen Murrow is consistently putting the ball in harm's way. I don't know. Curious to see. But Ty Simpson is his pick to be the starter if the season started today. I think what he said about Tyler Buckner, too, isn't getting talked about nearly enough. To be able to walk into a solidified locker room, solidified culture, rather, like what Alabama is right now, and to be in a position of leadership like the quarterback, for Tyler Buckner, that's a tall order, man. That is a tall order, and that is a very short amount of time to get it done. We talked about it a little bit when he decided to transfer to Alabama, and I was very uh, encouraged and agreed with the fact that Greg McElroy sort of echoed that sentiment. So worth noting. Also, make sure you like the video. Everybody tuned in live. Appreciate you rocking with us, man. Here at SEC Media Days, it's like college football Twitter come to life. You look up and down your timeline. If you follow college football on Twitter, and I promise you, all those people are here. And it is, again, like I said to open the show, one of the wonders of the world. So speaking of things that we're not talking about nearly enough, there's some, some things that I think are going on in the SEC that we aren't talking about nearly enough. Everyone's talking about who's going to play quarterback at Bama, and everyone's talking about, you know, what's George going to look like with Mike Bobo as the offensive coordinator. Like, a, a lot of talk about those sort of things. But I think there's a couple of things that are just sort of flying under the radar that need to get talked about. And as we're live on air, here we got Kirby Smart just walking by. Just a day in the life at SEC Media Days. What else is new? Uh, as I was talking about the things that need to get talked about, Let's just jump right into it before we have any other SEC head coaches just walk right by and break our focus here. Florida has one of the best backfields in America, and we're not talking about it nearly enough because everybody's talking about Graham Mertz and his transfer from Wisconsin and how he's hot and cold and what he could be, what he might be, what he won't be. And, like, I think it's all a fair conversation to talk about that. But I think we're looking at Florida through the completely wrong lens because Trevor Etienne and Montreal Johnson both averaged over five and a half yards of carry last year. Okay, if Florida can run the football how they want to run the football, it's going to be good times in Gainesville. The sky is going to be blue. The birds are going to be singing. The defense will not have to stay on the field nearly as long. Graham Merch is going to have much more open passing lanes. Like, if, if Florida is able to run the football to the degree at which the talent they have on that backfield, like, they're going to be okay. And I'm not predicting anything about Florida right now, but I just think there's so much talk about how they're going to underachieve and Billy Napier's this and that as a head coach and the, the, the talent's down. Like, if they can run the football, life will be better in Gainesville. I promise you. And I don't know why that's not getting talked about at all when it comes to Florida and how they project in 2023. Make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you're listening on the podcast, okay? Apple, Spotify, however you get them. You take the fingers, the Twitter fingers. You make them podcast fingers. And you type in the hard count with Jody Pacquiao. And I promise you find us right there. So thank you in advance for that. Another thing that's not getting talked about here. Spencer Rattler needs some help at South Carolina now. 
I think it's kind of become a trendy thing to blame Spencer Rattler. Like a lot of people in the recruiting world like to hashtag blame Berg whenever a commitment doesn't go their way. Same thing with South Carolina now. Whenever things don't go well for South Carolina, the finger gets pointed right at Spencer Rattler. I'm not even here to tell you that's totally unfair. He's had his own share of mistakes and mishaps on that field, so I don't think it's irresponsible, but I think it's incomplete. Because with Spencer Rattler, he was the, I don't, say pro, I don't want to say problem, he was benched at Oklahoma because Caleb Williams is that dude, okay? Like, what do you want me to say? Caleb Williams is Caleb Williams. But he was benched at Oklahoma, and so I think that sort of lent itself to this narrative that Spencer Rattler is just the problem if your offense doesn't succeed at South Carolina. But when I look at what they were last year, even when Spencer Rattler wasn't playing well, two things were going on. First, he wasn't getting protected. He was sacked 7% of the time, two and a half times a game, 31 times as a whole last year. However you want to slice it, whatever number you want to use, they did not protect Spencer Rattler well last year. The other part of that, they did not run the football well last year, and they were dinged up in the backfield. I understand that. You had a tight end playing running back a lot of the time last year, like not an ideal place to live if you're South Carolina. But even so, they ran the football 114 yards per game. That's good for 102nd in the country. So you got a quarterback, and you're telling me you're not going to protect him, you're not going to help him with the run game, but it's still his fault when things don't go well. SC Media Days last year, I remember clear as day, Shane Beamer walking out to the podium and saying, we cannot ask Spencer Rattler to be Superman. We cannot put everything on his shoulders. No run game, no protection. It sounds like everything's on his shoulders. And so when it comes to 2023 for South Carolina, I would be slow to point the finger at Spencer Rattler before looking at the stats and looking at how frequently he was sacked and how often he was pressured. Because the way that I'm looking at this, if you're Spencer Rattler and you're having trouble getting rolling and your offense isn't helping you, it's like being told to drive a car, but oh, by the way, the engine's kind of iffy and the tires are kind of leaky. But no, no, it's still the driver's fault. And listen, I think Spencer Rattler fully understands. You're the quarterback, you get all the praise, and you get all the flack. Just the way it works in South Carolina. Just the way it works at any major college football program. But I would be a little bit more tentative to put all the blame on Spencer Rattler's shoulders. Now, Juice Wells is that guy. He's got to step up big like he did last year. They got to go to him early, often, and everything in between. But they got to give him some running game, and they got to protect him for more than like half of Mississippi. Just has to happen for South Carolina to be successful. Not getting talked about nearly enough. Everybody wants to blame Spencer Rattler. Everybody wants to say, oh, it's Spencer's fault. But you don't look at the context. Can't be doing that. Y'all aren't doing that because y'all are program people, but the outside, the outside noise, the external... A lot of that going on. So I'm glad that we could talk about it right now. Another thing that's getting talked about, and Cole Kublik, program guy, by the way, he talked about this yesterday a little bit and kind of got a little bit of buzz. But Kentucky has a quarterback in Devin Leary that can flat out spin it. Can flat out spin it. He wasn't healthy last year. He's transferring over from NC State. But there was so much buzz around Will Levis. And I understand that the arm talent is flashy got that ideal NFL quarterback build. He was getting first-round buzz. Like, I understand that. I'm not against that. But you take Will Levis's best season. You take Devin Leary's best season. And Devin Leary has thrown for 600 more yards, 11 more touchdowns, and eight less interceptions. Give that man this Will Levis treatment. <laughs> Why is Devin Leary not getting more buzz? Why is Kentucky not getting more buzz? They're going to protect him better on paper, at least. They added three offensive linemen through the transfer portal. They got some weapons for him. Barry and Brown, a freshman All-American. Dane Key can go up and get the rock. Tavian Robinson, absolute problem in space. They got some pieces here. Also, Devin Leary is bringing with him his running back from NC State, 
Demi Sumbo Kange. I butchered his name yesterday at another uh, Radio Row segment, so I wanted to make sure we got that right. Demi Sumo Kongbe. Absolute dude now carrying the mail. They got a lot of pieces at, at Kentucky. Why are we not hyping Devin Leary a little bit more? Will Levis was going to be that dude to get him over the hump and get him to Atlanta last year, according to a lot of people. And Devin Leary, in my opinion, is an upgrade based on his resume, and he's not getting talked about hardly at all. Hardly at all. So for Kentucky, they got a guy that I think can really make them a problem in the East. Are they going to win the East? I don't know. But they're for sure going to be a hurdle for a lot of teams that got to line it up against Kentucky. So that's Devin Leary. He can spin it. Put some respect on my guy's name. Now let's go out here to Ole Miss. Because Lane Kiffin is going to touch the mic, and it's going to be magic. It's going to be electric. He's going to troll somebody. It's going to be so fun. We'll talk about it. It'll be great. But for Ole Miss, I don't know if we're all realizing that they are a solution at quarterback away from being a problem, from being scary for the SEC like the movie It, one and two. Both were great films, but they're both scary. Actually, Trey Hannity is sitting to my right here off camera. He's, he's, he's not making a pick, but he's feeling like Ole Miss could be a problem in the West. And I don't think he's far off when you look at what they have on this team. 61% of the time they ran the football. And the dude toting the rock for them this coming season going to be a sophomore, super sophomore, Quinshawn Judkins. Over 1,500 yards and 16 touchdowns last season. Dude is a dog. And they gave the ball to him a lot. Now, the only issue is last year at quarterback, he had Jackson Dart, who was kind of meh, kind of mid. 20 touchdowns, 11 picks. But it sounds like for him, he's starting to progress. He sounds like he's the guy right now in Oxford, even though you brought in Spencer Sanders. It sounds like he is at the top of the quarterback food chain for Ole Miss. And for Ole Miss fans, you're kind of just feeling like, are you serious? There's two ways to look at this. The first is what I just said. Are you serious? We got to go with Jackson Dart again. We already did this one time. We brought in guys. We brought in Spencer Sanders. We brought in Walker Howard. They were supposed to be our solutions here. And we're rolling with Jackson Dart. What, why, did, why do we still have Jackson Dart as our starting quarterback if we brought in two transfer quarterbacks? That's the glass half empty way to look at it. We brought in solutions, and they couldn't beat out Jackson Dart. Wait, flip that on its head for a second. Flip that around. You brought in guys that were supposed to take Jackson Dart's job, and it sounds like he leveled up and fought him off. Now, he hasn't been named the starter officially, to my knowledge, but even so, man, Jackson Dart, if he was able to level up and progress in this RPO system, something he had never done before until last year and takes that next step, that could be good news for Ole Miss. If we get, if we get a Darty in Ole Miss, it's going to be problems because at that point in time, you run the football as well as they do, and you're able to complement it with the pass game. You have some balance there. I'm just saying now, keep an eye on Lane Kiffin. Keep an eye on Ole Miss. They're going to be a team you got to deal with. If they get that quarterback position right and they're able to hold it down on defense, they're going to be a problem. They're going to be a problem for somebody now. So, with that being said, one more team I want to talk about here, and that's Texas A&M. I just want to give you a little footnote on A&M. A lot of talk about Connor Wegman, deservedly so. Dude lit it up last year, tons of ability, former five-star. Like, I get the juice around Connor Wegman in College Station, but to the exact same token, there has not been a starting quarterback named in College Station. Max Johnson, in my humble opinion, when he became the starter last year for that short period of time before he got hurt, that team had a totally different look. They beat Miami when they were ranked, and that win didn't age particularly well. They beat Arkansas when they were a top-10 team. Same kind of deal with how that win aged. But even so, in the moment, I was buying a lot of stock in Max Johnson. Heck, I think even a spring game a year ago, Max Johnson was your best quarterback. 
So I would be a little bit slower to just outright say Connor Wegman's going to be the answer at Texas A&M. Now, hear me clearly. I think if he is your guy, great. I think he's phenomenal. I've done a video on this channel about how, how good I think Connor Wegman is and the difference I think he can make. But I just want to make sure we, we get this out there. There is not a starting quarterback in College Station. That's been named. So keep an eye on that, and we'll see how that one ages. But even so, things we're not talking about enough in the SEC, Florida's got the best backfield or one of the best, one of the best backfields in America. South Carolina needs to help Spencer Rattler. It's not all on Spencer now. Got to help him out a little bit. Devin Leary can spin the rock can deal the pill like a shady pharmacist. And Ole Miss, if they get that darty going, Jackson Dart kind of takes that next step. They got the run game to be dangerous. Got the run game to be a problem for you. A&M, no starter names. Things that are not getting talked about nearly enough here. Not getting talked about nearly enough. Appreciate everybody tuned in live. Go ahead and like that video for us. Get us over 100. It will be 12 shows in a row. The streak will just keep on rolling for the program. Over 100 likes before we get off the air. So thank you for that. Also, this is pretty fresh. I just want to make sure we touch on this. Smoke Bowie, four-star cornerback transfer from Texas A&M to Georgia, was expected to be in the mix for that cornerback battle to play opposite Kamari Lasseter. He is no longer on the roster at Georgia. Kirby Smart said it was a mutual parting of ways. That's all that's been reported at, my, uh, at this time, but I just want to make sure that's out there because that's big news breaking at SC Media Day. Smoke Bowie, really talented cat, is no longer with Georgia. I'm telling you, man, SC Media Days, man, this is where it happens. This is, this is where a lot of stuff breaks, a lot of buzz gets going. It's a beautiful thing, man. Hard not to be excited. I'm just looking around here. If you're watching right now on YouTube, I'm just looking around at all the just incredible personalities we're, we're surrounded by. Incredible people, too. Important people in the college football space, man. Like I said, Kirby Smart walking by while we're live. I usually try and just, like, stay locked in when we're live. Like, I feel like... We're usually pretty good about keeping the main thing the main thing. A lot of stuff actually goes on behind the camera, even when we're in our studio. But when Kirby Smart walked by, I was like, hey, got a whole, whole, whole circus going on right now behind the camera. Now, with that being said, we're going to keep on rolling here. Let's talk about Kirby Smart and the Georgia Bulldogs. On the mic right now, probably making their the rounds on, on Radio Row and, and saying what's up to the good people of the college football world. But the Pulse of the Program series, I think, needs to take a trip to Athens. And that's what we're going to do exactly right now. And if you're not familiar with us right now, the Pulse of the Program is a, an apparatus that we use to take a pulse of, one, the fan base. So how we're feeling in Athens. And then how we're feeling in that building, as best we can tell, within the locker room at Georgia, within the coaching staff at Georgia. What is the, what is the pulse there? Also important to note, because we got some comments on YouTube about this, uh, program is spelled with a U. We'll leave it at that. So, last year for Georgia, made it two in a row. Two national titles for Kirby and the boys. They ran it back. The first time they did it with Stetson Bennett in 2021, it was euphoria. The monkey was off the back. 40 years of pain and turmoil down the drain, and Georgia put that crown on, and it felt good, I'm sure. The second time they did it, you couldn't help but feel a little bit of a sense of relief if you're a Georgia fan because you went wire to wire. You won the SEC. You were undefeated. You drew TCU. You were supposed to beat TCU. You did exactly what good teams do against teams they're supposed to beat. Absolutely ragdolled them, and we were there in person to watch it. It wasn't pretty, but we, we did our best to put on a brave face and watch Georgia just bludgeon TCU. But now they're going for a third in a row, and the feeling around it for me is that third in a row is now like the new standard. And standards are funny because you create them internally, 
your process, your way you do things, your discipline. You do that internally, and then eventually that standard trickles out to the external, the masses, your fan base, and then they come to expect a certain thing of you. That's a standard. And the standard right now is winning national titles. And so when it comes to the pulse of the program within that fan base at Georgia, the pulse is we're still here. Because Georgia had waited 40 years as a fan base, 40 years, give or take, to talk that cash, to bark at people in public places, and to give them no rebuttal. Because that's exactly what you're doing right now if you're a Georgia fan. There's nothing they can say to y'all, man. There's nothing they can say. Back-to-back national champs, mic drop. We're still here. And that's how they feel now. They feel a lot like, yeah, we won it one time, we won it two times, and we're still here. There's no reason why we can't run it back for a third time. There's no reason why we have to go anywhere with this streak we got rolling here. We still got Kirby Smart. We have arguably a more gifted player at quarterback. We got the best player in college football for a lot of people's money, Brock Bowers, on the scene. Three starters on the offensive line are back. 70% of the production on defense is back. Michael Williams is an absolute freak show off the edge. Like, we're still here. We are still here, and you got to deal with us. There's no reason to be timid. And I have a picture from the national title game that is burned in my mind. It's 65-7. to 7. Carson Beck is in there in garbage time, and they're just sort of running out the clock. And it was evident at that point, as it was evident at many points throughout that game, that Georgia was about to win a national title. And the TCU faithful, God bless them, are starting to file out of SoFi Stadium. And there was a specific Georgia fan. We're probably in the second level of the stadium, so we're, you know, we're up there a little bit. And he is just letting these TCU fans have it. And it felt like watching him talk to these TCU fans, it was kind of pent up within him, right? Like he had been waiting to let everybody know that Georgia was, once again, the national champs. And he's saying, you know, enjoy that flight back to DFW, direct right back to Dallas Love from LAX. Like he was letting them know that Georgia was that top dog. And I can't help but feel like that kind of encapsulates the feeling right now in that fan base in Athens. They're the top dog. They're still here, and they've been waiting a long time to be able to do that. But right now, they're at the top of the mountain. There's nothing anybody can say about it. I'm sure that feels good in Athens. So that's the, that's the pulse of the fan base. And the pulse of the program internally, I think, is very, very similar. But really quickly, make sure you subscribe. Appreciate y'all rocking with us. Make sure you're locked in here. We talk ball every day. We're live Tuesdays. We're live Thursdays, 11 a.m. Eastern. Don't miss a minute of it. No more time for missing shows, all right? College football season is here. The program's got to ride together now, so we appreciate y'all being locked in with us. Also listen on podcasts, wherever you get them. Okay, now internally, the Pulse, the program is the exact same thing. We're still here. But it, it, it hits a little bit different if you're internally at Georgia, and here's why. Confetti drops. Georgia wins a second in a row. No more Todd Munkin. No more Stetson Bennett. No more Jalen Carter. Like, some key pieces from last year's team aren't there anymore. And that's not to say that Georgia is somehow being doubted. They're going to fall off a cliff and not be Georgia anymore. That's not what anybody's suggesting. But even so, you have some people in the national media that I think have valid questions about Georgia because we haven't seen it. You don't know what Carson Beck's going to bring to the table. You can assume a little bit. We can imply a little bit based on him being on the roster at Georgia and his billing as a recruit as a four-star player. But even so, there's a little bit of a question mark there. And Reese Davis came out and said, listen, I think Georgia's got a better roster top to bottom, but his number one preseason is Michigan. He knows more about Michigan. That's fine. Kirk Herbstreit, we sat down with him in a similar setting at the NIL Elite Series event, and he's like, listen, man, Georgia is phenomenal. I'm paraphrasing. 
He said Georgia is phenomenal, but I think right now Alabama is a little bit ahead of them. I'm not counting out Nick Saban. And so that's their opinion. Everyone is entitled to their own opinion. But I think internally the feel at Georgia is the same thing. Hey, we're still here. You, you can have Michigan. You can have Alabama. You can have LSU. There's a lot of feeling around those teams, and that's totally fine. That is totally fine. But to the exact same degree, we're still here. Last time I checked, we got two national title trophies sitting on the mantle. So you got to deal with us now. You got to deal with us. You better know that if you want to win the crown, if you want to find a way to get somehow ahead of us to win the national title, you got to go through us. And we are still here. We're not going anywhere. And so nobody's peddling to Georgia. You're going to be seven and five, you're be eight and four. Like I think that in itself was sort of a, you know, fake narrative to begin with to keep it a buck with y'all. But even so, man, there's still that chip on their shoulder, I think. I think there's still that edge of like, okay, y'all don't even go for a third in a row. That's fine. Sit back, relax, and watch it happen. I think that's the feel internally. We are still here. Now, for Georgia, I think they're sort of wading into Bama-esque waters. And when I say that, we look at Nick Saban and what he's done over the course of his career. The pieces and the formula and the coaches, they've shifted around a little bit, right? It's Jacob Coker, it's Greg McElroy, Steve Sarkeesian, it's Mac Jones. The pieces shift a little bit with what they have on that staff and on that roster and that quarterback. But consistently, year in and year out, Bama stays in that top tier of the SEC and in the college football landscape. Why? Because of their standards, because of the way they do things, and because of their head coach. Now, for Kirby Smart, he's got two national titles. He hasn't done it without Stetson Bennett yet. Far be it from yours truly to predict that he won't. But to the exact same breath, pieces are changing. And so now I think for Bama and for Georgia, the reason that I see some parallels between them is now Georgia's kind of in that ascent mode, and I think they're probably peaking a little bit at you know, their ultimate goal, and they should because they've earned the right to do it. But how do you continue to throw fuel on the fire and, and, and throw logs on the fire that you're chasing a national title while you're already coming off two national titles. That's the piece to me. And that's what I'm curious to see because that, that's what Bama's done for years. That's what great teams do. That's what great dynasties do. And I think that's what Georgia's after now. Now, the optimism for Georgia fans is you have some horsepower when it comes to that quarterback position. I didn't say a better quarterback. I didn't say you're going to win more football games with him at quarterback. Stetson Bennett, one more time for this broadcast. GOAT status in Athens, Georgia. Kirby Smart's words, not mine, but I don't disagree with him. But Carson Beck was a four-star recruit. Stetson Bennett was a walk-on. Stetson Bennett developed a lot in college. I think Carson Beck has probably more God-given ability. So you maybe get excited about maybe being able to push the ball vertically a little bit more and off-play action having a little bit more consistency from you know the beginning of Carson Beck's career to the end of his career. It's a smaller sample size than Stetson Bennett because he played a long time. You hear the gist of what I'm saying. Carson Beck is a reason for some optimism that there won't be a drop-off when you look at what Georgia's going to do in 2023. But even so, man, the pulse at Georgia, fan base, and within that building, it's worse still here. And Georgia is still going to be a force, and you've got to deal with them if you want to win a national title. Just ask Michigan having that beat Georgia, period. So that's the Pulse of the program for Georgia, and they are on the mic right now, I believe, at SEC Media Days. And here's the beautiful thing about this. We call ourselves the People's Show, if you're new to the program. And we could not possibly call ourselves the People's Show if we did not involve the people in the show. Now you're saying, Jody, you're not in the studio in Nashville. What's, what's going on here? We're still in Nashville. We still got the team with us here. We got Trey Annie on the ones and twos. We got Nick Brake on the ones and twos. 
sitting off screen to my right here. So you're not going to see him on screen, but you're going to hear his beautiful voice. Welcome now to the program, heavy lifter extraordinaire, Legatron, batting 720 in kickball. Nick Brake. Nick, how we doing, big dog? What's up, JD, man? Uh, so, by the way, we've, we've got 400 people watching. We only have three questions. So, folks, get okay. your questions in. Love to hear from you. Um, with that being said, we're going to start with Bailey Shedd, who says, do you think Washington can make the college football playoffs this year, JD? Wow. How about that? We're at SEC Media Days. Yeah. First yeah. question, coming in hot with a little bit of Husky love. <laughs> exactly. Can they make it's the college start. football playoff? I will, I will put it this way. I'm not picking Washington to make the college football playoff. Can they, though? I'm looking at the Pac-12, and you could not tell me a team outside of, like, Cal and Stanford that would surprise me winning the Pac-12. I mean, USC is going to be the lead dog, no pun intended, because we're talking about the Huskies. But Oregon's going to have a chance. Oregon State you got to deal with. Oregon, uh, excuse me, I already talked about Oregon. Uh, Washington for sure is a team. I mean, how explosive they are offensively. If they can shore up that secondary, they're going to be a force. So definitely a, a team that could make the college football playoff. But, Nick, I'm, I'm not going to pick them when it comes to prediction season here in just a few short weeks. Great question, though, there by, uh, by the live chat coming in hot. Folks, yep. if you haven't already uh, deduced from what's going on right now, we take questions from the live chat. So if you're new, man, get in the chat. Let us know. We want to hear from you all. and want to talk to you all about what you got going on. Uh, Nick, I also I forgot to do this during the show. Shout out to a faithful podcast listener, my boy Jackson. And Jackson listens during his internship. believe he's a Georgia fan. So big shout out to Jackson. Rocking with us. We appreciate you, brother. And uh, we appreciate you fueling what we got going on here at SC Media Days. But, Nick, great question. What else is going on in the chat, brother? Uh, yeah, so next question. Sorry if I'm coming in a little hot. Um, Rocky Top Tom, hashtag SJD, who wins the SEC West in the last year of divisions and why? He, I'll tell you, Tom says Bama, but Dude, it's up to you Tom, now for your choice. I don't think Tom's wrong here, Nick. I don't think Tom's wrong, and I, I love LSU. I think LSU is really, really dangerous. I think Jaden Daniels is I think Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback in the SEC right now. Now, will he be the best quarterback in the SEC when it's all said and done? We'll see in November. But going into the year, what I know about him – Probably the best quarterback in the conference. Him and KJ Jefferson, you talk about, talking about Spencer Rattler, like a lot of names. I'm taking Jaden Daniels. Man, we're going to do prediction season here in just a few short weeks, Nick. I think last week of July, we probably start getting into prediction territory, but man, I don't want to bet against Saban. I think also LSU having beaten Bama last year makes me feel a little bit more comfortable about picking Bama this year. So right now, before prediction season, I'm going to go ahead and pick Bama to win the West because I think their philosophy offensively and how they've recruited and the chip on their shoulder and Nick Saban's process and structure, all that I think is going to eventually pay dividends here for them. So I love LSU. I haven't seen a consistent product from them just yet. And Jaden Daniels has got to push the ball downfield. So all that being said, I like Bama right now. And we will give that an official pick when it comes to prediction season. We'll do a prediction on a live show. What do you think, Nick, at the end of July? Probably sounds like about the right time. Uh, by the way, uh, JD, folks, uh, if you want to get your question read, um, I started a Q and A, trying something new today. Okay, um, that's the easiest way to see it, so you don't get it doesn't get lost in the chat. Um, so throw it in there. But we've got a couple more in the um, Q and A feed. Shane Daniel, does Georgia have better defensive numbers in 2023? That's kind of scary to think about, JD. So Rusty Mansell is the top dog covering Georgia. Again, no pun intended. We're not trying to do dog puns here, but that's the reality. George, I mean, Rusty Mansell, there's nobody better covering Georgia. And I was listening to him yesterday, 
on the SEC podcast, which is a great podcast. If you haven't checked that out, make sure you check that out. But he was saying the pass rush for Georgia is going to be even more scary than a season ago. Gosh, are they better than a season ago statistically? I think they're on par. How about that? Without saying they're going to be better, I think they're going to be just as good. I think the pass rush to what Rusty said will be better. Michael Williams, former number one overall player for us here at On3, absolute dude, excuse me, not a former number one overall player. He was one of the top overall players. He was in that conversation of being the number one player. Uh, one of the best players in the country when he came out of high school, no way around it. He's going to be a dude. The pass rush will be lethal. This is your stack house playing defensive tackle. Like, they got some guys. So I'll say better pass rush numbers, Nick. I'm going to say the defense is about as good as it was last year, which for all of y'all that are tuned in, you know it's more than enough for Georgia to repeat for the third time as national champs. Okay, man, uh, just a couple more. How many How many we got time let's, for? Let's go two more. What do two you more. say? Yeah, we got to hit those press conferences pretty Let's do soon. it. So uh, that being said, Stephen Shell, do you think Jimbo Fisher survives at A&M past next year, past this season, J.D.? And that buyout money, Nick, men lie, women lie, numbers don't lie. Jimbo <laughs> Fisher has a track record of winning. And I know he hasn't done it at AM, and and I understand there's probably some frustration because you had expectations and the way they've recruited. I would be wildly surprised if Jimbo Fisher gets fired at Texas A&M. And it's not because they're not going to perform because I'm predicting what they're going to do on the season. Like, that's just so much money to pay a coach to leave. And they get paid a lot to leave all the time, but the, the money that is – Ode to Jimbo Fisher, if you were to fire him, is ridiculous. Like, there's not enough Monopoly money you could throw around that would equate to that number. I believe it's somewhere in the neighborhood of $70 million, Nick. So I have a hard time getting on board with that. I'm going to go ahead and say no to answer our good friend's question. Good deal. One more one here? More question. Let's like do it, said, brother. One more question. Um, this one coming from Kenny Davis, and this is kind of an, a good Media Day-themed question. Who's your favorite coach that, to interview this year? Maybe someone that you've already talked to, uh, maybe someone you haven't, but who's your favorite coach you think uh, talking this year with you? Kenny, what a banger to go out on, huh? What a banger to go out on for SEC Media yeah. Day. Nick, I want to make sure this gets said before we answer this question. We were about 10 minutes to go in live on the air. 10 minutes to go in live. And we're kind of doing our last minute put together for the show, and we're getting fired up. I mean, the, the buzz is incredible here. And we don't have a way to get on the air. I think the Wi-Fi was out. The hard line was out. There was, there was something going on. And Trey, Yanity, and Nick break. Locked arms. A couple of Foxhole program guys. And made this show happen. Not just made this show happen. Made this show happen on time. Also should be noted, it was on the heels of Andy Staples sitting down and doing an interview with Cedric Van Prant. So, enormous shout-out to you, Nick, and to you, Trey, for getting that yeah. done. I want to make sure that gets said while we're on the air. Because that was... Big time. Man, well, Big time. shout out to the folks here. At so the Wi-Fi on Radio Row was out for like probably 45 minutes <laughs> at around 9 central time. So shout out to them. They got it back. Um, Program people finding a way to get it done, man. Trey's keeping his cool over here. Good deal. And he got it done. So, yeah. Awesome, but, uh, J.D., I'll, I'll talk to you Thursday. Good deal, boys. We'll do it again Thursday. Again, live from Radio Row, there is a current bet going that the, the Wi-Fi and the hard line will be stable, so we should be good to go. A little less drama getting on the air, but appreciate y'all again. Nick Brake, Trey Hannity, the best in the biz, making it happen, getting us on the air. Huge shout-out to those guys. Kennedy, to answer your question, 
favorite coach we've interviewed, and we were very, very fortunate and blessed to have a lot of the top head coaches across the country sit down with us. Within the SEC, we had Brian Kelly. We had Shane Beamer. I mean, we had Ryan Day from Ohio State. We had Hugh Freeze from Auburn staying in the SEC. Like, we were fortunate to get so many awesome people on the show to talk to us, and that happens because y'all tune in, because y'all provide some sort of product from an audience standpoint for us to say, hey, this is good for your team to, to have your head coach on this operation and to be able to speak to the masses. It's a good thing for you. It's a good thing for us. So I would say, Nick, one of my most enjoyable interviews, and they were all phenomenal, I loved hearing from Shane Beamer. I mean, you can just tell from talking to him, he is so genuine, he's so authentic. And, I mean, he was just a real dude. Like, we asked him about going viral on social media, and he just gave us a straight answer. So if you haven't checked out that interview, make sure you do it. If you haven't checked out the interview with any number of coaches, make sure you go check it out. Your favorite coach is probably on there. And uh, sounds like there may be more on the way, too, to give you a little bit of uh, a teaser. But listen, man, SEC Media Day is nothing like it, man. Absolutely incredible. And we appreciate y'all for allowing there to be a demand for us to create a supply. So thank you for that. Now, again, we'll be live again on Thursday, same time, same place, 11 a.m. Eastern, live from Radio Row to round out SEC Media Days. Make sure you check us out on podcast, Apple, Spotify. Get the podcast fingers going. Subscribe there to the podcast feed. It'll be in your feed as soon as we get off the air. Well, listen, man, we appreciate y'all. We love y'all. Subscribe and like on your way out. We're going to keep this party rolling, and we will see y'all next time. Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's $200 to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com on3 and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050-427 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE. NY or text HOPE NY in New York.